Criminal-minded media listeners, welcome to episode six of Chased, the Billy Chase story. Today I sit down with the author and executive producer of this podcast, Lenny Grimaldi. Lenny wrote the book Chased, which this podcast is based on. For the next few episodes, I did a wide-ranging interview with Lenny and his experience writing and reporting on this important story that came to define Bridgeport, Connecticut in the 80s and 90s. Lenny Grimaldi, journalist, rock on tour, politician maybe? Call me anything you want. <laughs> Just throw it against the wall so it sticks. We've taken this audio journey of, of Billy Chase's life and where this ultimately ends up and where we both knew it would end up is Billy tragically taking his own life. In order to talk about this, you know, you being the journalist and author and writing the book Chased, you wrote some passages that I think are very important that will cover what happened to Billy and we can talk about that. So I wanna read you some of this. Cunning, funny, engaging, tragic, Billy Chase was all those things. He was a police officer who went where no undercover cop had gone before, infiltrating a faction of the Gambino crime family in Connecticut. And that was just one piece to a short, dizzying law enforcement career behind a life of aliases to take out bad guys. Tell me about Billy Chase and why you felt it was important to just write this book. He was alone. He was an island. Uh, he was a young man um, who did the dirty work for white law enforcement officials that didn't look after him. He's engaging, intriguing human being, funny, cunning, all the things that I wrote about to the point where he lost sight of himself because of the work he was doing. When the kind of deep undercover work that he did was consuming, and understand it was a life of aliases. It wasn't just one case after another. He was juggling multiple cases at the same time. So he didn't know who he actually was. He couldn't be Billy Chase. I mean, he, he effectively ceased to exist as his birth name because you know, one day he was doing this um, Jamaican patois, uh, infiltrating a Jamaican gang. And the next day he was um, trying to infiltrate a faction of the Gambino crime family, you know, as this, you know, uh, slick talking, you know, drug dealer who could help them make money. And then he would be working on Dominican gangs. It, it took its toll. You know, he talked to me about, you know, waking up not knowing who I was. Who's the real me? It's hard to know. He knew it, it was catching up with him. You know, he, he was a man who didn't allow a lot of people into his life because it was hard. He, how was he going to explain people who he was? Billy had this gigantic hole in his heart that he, I think he needed to fill on some level. You know, I think the work he did in law enforcement on some level helped to fill that hole. But I think the thing he really wanted to fill his heart more was his relationships with, with, with women. And uh, Billy 
Billy hated to be alone. He, he was so alone so often in his professional life that he felt like in his personal life, he wanted to be made whole on some level. And he had trouble with relationships. You know, many, many relationships went sour because he unfortunately didn't know who he was day to day. Think about waking up. Who am I today? I gotta be this person and that person, this person. And then when it all crashes and you're all alone, he was a very, very young man when he was done with law enforcement because of the death threats and he had to get out. Staggering to think about. And it was also at a time where this conversation about mental health was non-existent. So there was no services for undercover police officers in any shape or form. It was actually the opposite. They, they you know, they, they kind of wanted you away from the force, right? Yeah, who, who you know, and in a weird, strange way, he became a burden to the people he made look good. Think about that. He, he did the work. He was like a human missile. They pointed him in a direction to go into places no one else wanted to do. And he was willing to do it. And then they threw, them, threw him under the bus when he needed help. And no one never ever stopped to, th- to think, what are we doing to this guy? What's going to happen to him when he's done? And he, he's a man in his early 30s, mid-30s. He's, he's done. And no one looked after him. It's, um, you know, I dress it in the book when, you know, people have information on mob guys or drug dealers who are, who are part of that particular life and system. They have this witness protection program, right? At least there's something there. There's no witness protection program for cops who are on the run from guys he's putting away or coming out of jail and want to kill him. And particularly back then, back in the, uh, I'm talking about, you know, 35 years ago to 30 years ago, there was nothing. It was very callous. And unfortunately, it wasn't just Billy. Other people suffered as a result of it. Because if somebody had looked after him, uh, his work could have been more complete. And others could have learned from that whole particular process of what he went through if there was some safety net for him. There wasn't. There was no safety net for him at all. This next passage um, gets us to what was Billy's end. His career became a curse. Death threats, a disconnection with his own identity forced him to retire in his early 30s. Life haunted him. Relationships suffered. And in the end, he took his own life bullet in his brain after attempting to take the life of his former fiance. Can you um, tell me the story what ultimately happens when Billy goes down to Florida and he takes his life? So I, I think in going to um, the Jacksonville area of, of Florida, North Florida area, he's trying to, one, find a place of solace to feel safe. Um, his parents were down there. He had some relatives there. So why not, why not relocate? You know, here's a guy who, who leaves the department 
You know, there were no awards. There was no award ceremony for Billy Chase. There was nothing. Dude, you're done. Death threats. Get out of town. And that was it, right? He had no one to look after him, so he went back to a place he felt safe harbor. And you start over as a young man. Small pension. I mean, he could barely live off of it. I mean, it wasn't much at all. Most people today couldn't live on the pension that Billy had, which was a small amount of money, you know, maybe $15,000 or something. It was, it was, it was small. Um, so he tried to re-engage and start his life on, on a personal level, but it's difficult. You know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm in law enforcement. Um, to his credit, to his credit, he managed to get himself through law school in Florida. He managed to do that. Um, you know, working at a university, um, you know, teaching law enforcement te techniques and tactics and undercover work, and I think it fulfilled him. But the thing he really wanted most was a personal relationship that can make him feel whole. And he would go through relationship after relationship. Because Billy, when it came, came to relationships, Billy was a classic overthinker. You know, someone says this, he thinks that, right? And, and I used to say to him, you know, Billy, please, you know, think things over, don't overthink things. It's, it's a different mindset, easy for me to say. And I was able to meet you know, some of the, the women in his, in his life. And they're, they're a beautiful uh, career professional woman um, who loved him. I think the problem is Billy didn't love himself. And it wasn't his fault. He, he just didn't because of all the stuff that he went through. You know, if no one's looking after me, it, it, it's a burden psychologically. And I did all this work and here I'm at and I'm done. Right, and he, he tried, believe me, he did try. He tried to reinvent himself. And, but, you know, sometimes the demons, and people ask why they come back later. You know, I'm no the, I'm the psychiatrist. But things that happen in your life, earlier life, they come back later. It just hits you, you, you don't even know why. So I think his failed relationships just reinforced all of his concerns about being abandoned. He just, you know, he's a guy who wanted to be loved and had a hard time accepting or, or dealing with any kind of just dissension or conversation uh, in a relationship. And oftentimes it would spiral out of control. And, and you know, after several relationships, this particular one with Lynn Harriet was just awful. You know, I got a phone call, it was late 2015 early 2016 about, you know, some issues he had with her. Had a quick conversation with him, but not, not in real depth, you know, where he said, well, it's not all my problem, it's all my fault, and she's equally to blame. And, you know, I, I would say, look, you, the most important thing is getting yourself together, you know, and, and moving on, whatever whatever this thing is. Um, you know, court order, he had to stay away from her. Uh, and then the next thing I know, not too long later, I get a phone call from you know, Ron Bailey, who's chronicled quite a bit in the book, who was one of his partners in the Bridgeport Police Department. And Ron was one of the guys who looked after him and loved Billy. You know, Ron wasn't directing Billy. 
you know, all the people who were directing Billy just, they walked away. And then Ron called me and said, Billy's in trouble. He shot his ex-fiance, emptied a gun, six bullets in her, into her. He put six bullets into her, reloads the gun, puts it to his head and, and blows his brains out. And she survives. With what quality of life, who knows? Obviously didn't hit enough major arteries or any major arteries to take her life, but think about having six bullets in you, surviving it, what kind of quality of life does she have? And so it, it, was, it was a sad end. And the thing about Billy is we're having this conversation. And one of the things he really wanted more than anything else is to have his story told on a, on a larger level. You know, we did, and the book came out, you know, 1993, 94, and, you know, we promoted it. Had some decent, decent play. He just wanted a, a larger platform to talk about what he went through so others didn't have to go through it. And for him, I felt on some level why I took the project on. You know, I saw a man who, who was hurting and needed some peace in his life. When I was interviewing him in the early days um, of, our, of our book project. And he, he was freshly removed from all that. On the job, he's kind of larger than life. He was this superhero figure. And what does that really mean if no one's there to support you and provide a safety net? But he was very emotional when he spoke to me. Uh, he was beaten up just too many fights with crackheads, um, a lot of medication. His hands were constantly swollen. You know, Billy was, Billy was a you know six foot three, six foot four guy, martial arts background, could take care of himself. But I'm looking at this man who's like 33 or 34 years old, and his body's broken. And then I'm wondering how broken is his mind. I think it what happened with Billy is. Episode after episode after episode, it just got more difficult for him to try to find a place of one, who am I, and to experience joy. Billy stopped experiencing joy in his life. At that point, when he was down in Florida, was there ever any conversation that even now removed from the police department and the police department is not going to offer any resources? that maybe he should go talk to somebody? Did you guys ever talk about the idea of therapy or anything that he could do? Yes, I think he was reluctant. Um, I think for him, it was a lot easier to open up with someone like me. It's amazing how many people will, will lie to the therapists because they can't get it, they can't puke it up. They can't pick it up because they fear they're going to be judged in some manner. But, you know, his story is, understand that he worked for the Bridgeport Police Department, assigned to federal agencies. So the failure here, in the bigger picture, it's not the Bridgeport Police Department. It's federal officials in the FBI, in the DEA, who just used him. Billy wasn't just a guy who worked for the local police department and did undercover work. He was assigned on a special mission 
to the FBI and the DEA working these kinds of cases. And they were extraordinary cases. So the failure here, if you want to say there's a failure with the Bridgeport Police Department, there's an equal or more failure with the people he was being supervised and directed in the federal government. In the course of working on the book, did you talk to any of the officials who, let's, let's call it, were above Billy? Um, and, and what did they have to say? Did you ever call anyone to task about this? Or as we do sometimes as young journalists, maybe we're just focused on one thing and that wasn't part of your sort of priority at that time. Well, well it was absolutely. And we had those conversations and, and most of them would say, who ultimately was really responsible for him? Because no one wanted to step up. He worked for the Bridgeport Police Department on assignment to federal and state law enforcement agencies, a variety of them. So... Everyone had a little piece of Billy Chase. Every one of them. And so what piece do you want me to hang on? That would be the response. What's the piece I'm supposed to, I'm responsible for taking on. And I would say, well, he's a complete human being, isn't he? He's just not pieces. And so they saw him as, as, as pieces that they could use. Some of it not malicious, some of it not malicious at all. But he's willing to do the work, the dirty work no one else wanted to do. And what are they going to say? My God, yeah. And it, it was incredible, the kinds of cases he broke that no one else was able to do. So I think he was spread so far around that no one wanted to take responsibility. It's an interesting construct, right? Because I think traditionally when you've seen similar things, Donnie Brasco or any sort of undercover work, right, there's this... For a, for a lot of the, let's call it Hollywood stories, or people who write the books, it's this one mission, right? It's like, I'm going after and I'm going to go inside this one Italian mob family, or I'm going to go in a biker gang, right? And to your point, there was a sort of schizophrenic element to this, right? Talk a little bit about why was Billy Chase so good at this? Where did that come from? He was a chameleon. He um, had a gift to transpose himself into places no one else could do. Uh, he had a great, amazing gift for Gab. I mean, I, the sessions I've had with him, you know, I mean, yeah, there was there was the sensitive, deep part of Billy Chase, the tormented, um, demonic side of the work. But my God, when he he was uh, he was funny as you can get. I mean, his, his sense of humor was staggeringly hysterical he he had he just had an amazing gift and um, he was able to leverage that into sizing up with people he could relate to in a way that they could sense how persuasive this guy was and he was very very persuasive you know I, I just I had a special kind of relationship with him and that I think he felt like he could puke up everything on me and I wasn't going to judge him but and, and Ron Bailey as well you know and, and a few others but I think for the most part Billy reached a point where he felt like he had to put on a show because his whole life was putting on a show and why based on survival if someone if someone was able to skunk out skunk out that he that he was a cop he was a phony he was this or that he was done he had this gift of believability that sank into people. 
I've been thinking about something recently and looking at this story. This is obviously a time before cell phones. But if you know Bridgeport, Connecticut, although it is a big city, it's considered a city. It's kind of a small place when you start to get down to the street level of it, right? And I want to ask you this particular question, and there's a nuance to it. How was he able to juggle all of this without anyone calling him out and being like, Billy, what the fuck? You're an undercut. Like you work for the police department, one. Or was it the fact that at that time there were so many dirty cops walking around everywhere that it didn't really matter? He Maybe people thought, yeah, he's a cop, but this guy's a dirty cop, so I'll work with him. I think a combination of factors. Um, he broke ground. And he was willing to break ground in those areas that other people didn't want to do. Um, were there times where, yeah, he, he was investigating guys that, you know, he went to high school with or, 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 or college with. And he was trying to be discerning about it. And he would be approached every now and then um, about, you know, what are you doing and what's going on? And Billy just flipped the subject matter. He did that in his undercover work because of survival. He would just change the subject. You know, Billy was really, really good at giving the answer he wanted to give no matter what question was asked. Why? Survival in his undercover work. He just had to, you know, Billy had to stick and move and stick and move all the time. Just it's part of that believability to get to the next level of his investigations. <laughs> 